0: oh
1: hello it's been ages and ages has it not yeah I never got around to finishing the season two did I life, unsurprisingly for a dude with OCD, got a bit weird there for a while I stayed busy working on my Substack, you should check that out at spook.substack.com that's spook with three O's I write a lot about OCD there and I kept making two of my other podcasts The James McMahon Music Podcast and Shame, both available as they say, wherever you get your podcasts But my OCD got pretty bad It was getting pretty bad around the time I stopped publishing episodes. And then I started having a bunch of new therapy, which has been going really quite well, actually. I've had a few wobbles, quite big wobbles, actually. But for the largest part, things have been getting pretty good. I feel like I've learned to manage my OCD better than I did when I was putting out episodes all the time, which means, drumroll please, I think I'm ready to start working on season three of the OCD Chronicles. I've got a few ideas of people I want to speak to, but I thought it might be a nice idea to officially end season two here, with a conversation I recently had with Chris Hawkins on BBC Six Music, about my life with OCD, particularly through the context of my life as a music journalist. Now, I'm sure I'm not supposed to have the interview off the radio and repurposed it here for you, but I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be fine, right? No reassurance. I'm not worried. I don't worry about normal things, just whether I've tapped the table enough times or whether I'm going to cut my arm off. OCD is absolutely bloody bonkers, right? There's also a bit in the middle of the interview where Chris cuts to a song I picked, I Know, by the great Fiona Apple, who also suffers with OCD. I'm not going to risk the wrath of her record label by including that here, so I've just snipped it out. And when we get to that bit, just imagine I'm singing you a little song la 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 something like that. And when we're done, well then you'll just have to wait for season 3, which will be I don't know, but I promise you it is happening. Enjoy this chat, won't you?
0: All this week's 6 musics Reflecting Mental Health Awareness Week with One for the Heads, a selection of programming on the theme of well-being. And with me now is the former editor of Kerrang! and who's writing, I'm sure you'll know, from Vice, The Big Issue and The Observer. He's also the host of the OCD Chronicles, a podcast all about those who've fought the illness and survived. Hi, James. Hey, how you doing? Uh, James... When did you first discover you had OCD and uh, where were you at that time in your life? Well, I guess the sort of brief version is that
1: I think a lot of people, when they find out they have OCD, they actually realise that it's been present in their life a lot longer than they thought. I always think that my first proper debilitating episode of it was when I was 19 and didn't understand what was happening to me. and But I didn't actually get a diagnosis till I was 28, which was... Uh, 2008 I was working at the enemy at the time and I had another serious episode of obsessing and ruminating uh, and the rituals that come with that and I got a diagnosis at the Maudsley Hospital in Camberwell which is this world beating uh, unit for anxiety disorders and I ignored it I didn't think that I had OCD because I didn't do any of the things that were on TV or in films or I wasn't particularly organised, I wasn't particularly uh, tidy, Uh, I didn't wash my hands, well, more than, you know, one should. It was a huge regret, uh, and I went another 10 years and had a proper breakdown at the end of my time at Coran and thought maybe I should listen to that diagnosis and got another diagnosis. And here I am today, kind of more or less able to manage the condition. But I think that one of the reasons why I'm very... I try to be very vocal about OCD and what it is and what it isn't and how people can get help for it, is that it really was the poor representation of the disorder that led me to reject that diagnosis and certainly had 10 years more difficult than they should have been because of it.
0: Uh, what happened when you were 19, James? Uh well, when I was 19,
1: I woke up one day and I decided that I was HIV positive. I was at no more risk than anyone. You know, obviously, obviously, HIV can... Kind of, affect anyone, but I certainly wouldn't have been considered high risk, and I could not live with the lack of confirmation that I wasn't HIV positive. So I would go get a test, I would get a negative result, I would say, how sure are you that this test is negative? They would say 99.9999% and I would say, oh, there's a chance I still have it there. And then I would have another test. And this went on for... Twelve months, maybe, maybe eighteen months. I can't quite remember, but it really was uh, a horrifying time when I accepted the diagnosis, which was in 2017 from a guy called Professor David Veal, who's one of the, you know, real experts in this field. I looked back and I went, well, of, of course, of course, that was OCD. But. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, tell me, 2008, you mentioned when you were at the NME. What happened then? Oh, man, all sorts. Um, well, I I was the
1: features editor of the magazine, which was, you know, obviously a very stressful position but it was a job that I loved and it was a job that I'd always wanted to do and it really was everything I'd sort of worked for but I found myself obsessing that people could uh, hear my thoughts I was obsessing that people thought that I was a serial killer Uh, we call them ego dystonic themes in that you obsess about the thing that you care about the most so if something horrifies you so much, that would be the thing that you obsess about. And I found myself basically living in the office because I couldn't get out through the door. And I couldn't get out through the door unless I'd touched every desk in the building three times. So I'd basically just be in this constant loop of touching people's desks and then getting to a certain number and then realising that I'd forgotten. And it could sometimes take me three or four hours to
0: get out of the office and it was just a just a cycle of uh, cycle of madness. James, um, let, let's talk some more in a moment, if, if that's okay. I want to play something that um, maybe you like to listen to when you need a bit of headspace.
1: I thought I'd pick Fiona Apple. Fiona Apple's been very vocal about her existence with OCD. There's a lot of musicians that talk about their experience with OCD now. George Ezra has been talking about it a lot recently. And uh, I sometimes think what it would have been like to have a George Ezra or a Fiona Apple when I was... 19. It just would have been a real kind of light in the dark, really. So I'm pleased those people have got vocal. Okay.
0: Uh, Which one's this, Fiona Apple? Well, it's a song called
1: I Know, which isn't especially about OCD, but I think we call OCD the Doubting Disorder, and it's all about reluctance to be able to live with uncertainty. So uh, a song called I Know feels very on brand. All
0: right, James, let's talk some more after this. Fiona Apple here on Six Music. La, 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 Fiona Apple and I Know here on Six Music. James McMahon's with me. James is music journalist, podcast host of the OCD Chronicles. James, you had a a dream job. Massive music fan, working at the NME, features editor, incredible times. And it feels like you should have been living your best life. It was a great time in music too. Yeah, no, totally. I mean...
1: It really was my sort of dirty secret, really more than anything. Um, I did I did talk to my editor, a guy called Conor McNicholas, who's the, my gaffer at the time, and he and he was great. But I didn't tell him anything, like I told you, like because I was actually terrified that if I told anyone actually what was going on, then I would lose my job. And even now, I mean, I'm I'm writing a book about OCD at the moment. It's my kind of principal project that I'm working on, and speaking to ex-colleagues or friends from that time they all expressed sort of great shock that I managed to do anything really you know I managed to make a feature section every week but <laughs> one of the things that happened in 2017 was that I found myself to an OCD support group called OCD London and sounds almost trite to say this but it was like finding your tribe people were sharing the same themes that I had and I thought well this is where I need to be and, and that's what led me to um, and the right help. It was going to the support group. Really, was the thing that kind of gave me a roadmap. Really, I had I had quite a lot of things happen to me in childhood. No one really knows where OCD comes from. Like some people, I, I know this because I've spoken to researchers and psychologists and all sorts of people when doing the podcast. But. You know, mo- most people believe that it's a genetic thing, with almost like a mixture of nature and nurture, so that you can be like born predisposed to the condition, where then almost something m- might happen to you that unlocks it. Uh, I certainly feel like knowing the medical history of my family that I'm—that's probably the case.
0: Do you think that being a music journalist was the right job for
1: you? No, not at all. No, no, I don't think I don't think I could have chosen anything worse, if I'm being honest with you. But I also think that. You couldn't have told me otherwise when I was 14 and pouring over every word in The Enemy. And I also think that were I to work in a supermarket, I would get obsessed with something. I, I, I think that it, it latches onto the things that matter to you. So, and, and works always matter to me a lot. So, I think that whatever I did, it would have been the case. But definitely, I think, you know, I'm pleased that there is starting to be a conversation about mental illness in the music industry because we, you know, it's such an unregulated, exhausting 24-7 job and, you know, people aren't necessarily built for that.
0: James, um, what would you say to anyone that might be feeling anxious listening to you now? Well, I think that if you have OCD,
1: actually feeling anxious is the way to go, which sounds strange because you would think that you would avoid that if you had OCD, but the way that we treat OCD is with cognitive behavioural therapy and a thing called exposure response prevention, which is actually putting yourself close to your fears and your anxieties, living with the anxiety, so to speak. So I have a friend who is obsessed with germs. He goes and sits next to a bin for 12 hours a day. Often when I've spoken about OCD, people have said, that sounds like you, you are describing my life. I don't feel so alone. I don't feel so odd. To which i say there's some great charities in the uk ocd uk ocd action there are support groups in most major towns and cities that changed my life and i think that if you can get access to the right treatment for ocd which is what i've just said then i think that your life can be an awful lot more tolerable and maybe
0: even enjoyable you've spiraled james and you've come back Uh, are you in control now yeah yeah i'm not that
1: far off a dip and I feel like actually at the moment I think that I am probably doing the best I've ever done and I think I can do even better so yeah I'm feeling good about it actually.
0: Amazing. James I can't thank you enough for being so honest thank you. Pleasure. Is it hard to share?
1: No not really (laughs) but that can also be a bit of a symptom of of OCD, oversharing, because there's one type of OCD, right, but they call them different things, so mine's kind of a mixture of physical compulsions and rituals and internal compulsions and rituals, which is one of the reasons why I find it quite hard. It, it was quite hard for me to accept, because if I was washing my hands all the time, or I was I don't know, checking locks or whatever, then it would have been much more obvious, but a lot of the stuff is just the way that I think. And sometimes... Being open about stuff it is a link to OCD because you find a lot of people with OCD want to confess or they want to share overshare because they want that reassurance which makes the anxiety go away. So I don't I don't find it that hard, but I think I've had to I've had to strike a balance between you know being in the supermarket and someone asking how I am and me telling them my entire life story. It's taken some time to
0: work out what my boundaries are. James, thank you so much for coming on the show. Pleasure.